Well, it's good to be here once again, um, serving you by way of the pulpit. Uh, by the way, I, I helped purchase this pulpit years ago, and so this pulpit is a home for me. And um, But being here the past almost five weeks now, uh, I realize that obviously home is definitely not a place. Um, home is a people, and we're thankful that we're, we were able to spend time with family and friends, um, seeing you guys last week and seeing you guys today. Uh, again, our, it, it's done wonders uh, to our hearts, and we, we've had a restful time, uh, kind of crazy at times, but also restful. And again, just serving you by way of the pulpit, it's, it's a little ner- nerve-wracking, uh, just because if some of you guys know, or maybe not know, uh, when, I, when I preach in Vienna, uh, I have a translator. So it's always this side-by-side translation. So if I'm pausing, it's because I'm waiting for someone to speak in German. Um, so, uh, yeah, please uh, be, show me some grace there. Uh, but again, it's good to be here. And again, I'm thankful to be here uh, today to serve you. Well, one of the things I'm grateful for uh, as I was talking to Rod earlier, is that the teaching of Pastor Rod. I know we were sitting here last week, and I was, you know, after we uh, drove away from the service, you know, I was talking to Faye, and I was like, ah, oh, just miss Rod's preaching. Uh, of course, I miss the people, but just sitting under his preaching, how thorough he is, um, and his, his preaching and teaching have helped me in a number of ways. And so I still look to Rod as one of the best preachers I've known uh, in my lifetime. And so you guys have a great pastor who loves his people, but also a great preacher who actually loves the word. And so, again, that's one of the most amazing things. I come away uh, uh, in terms of his preaching. I come away just understanding the text better. But more importantly, I come away seeing Christ. And so, Pastor Rod, thank you for being faithful to the word and being uh, such an example for me and for so many people around the world. Well, years ago, when I would travel with Pastor Rod, one of the topics he would teach uh, was part of the Simeon Trust Workshop and was entitled The Melodic Line. And it was always one of my favorite workshops that he would go through. The main point of the workshop was to help us find a theme in a a particular book in the Bible and how it, it would actually connect to the overall theme of redemption. And so I'll do my best to explain the melodic line in just a short amount of time that we have. Some of you may even know it if you've gone through the workshop here at Gateway. But here's why it's called the melodic line. You see, the melodic line in relation to music is a short sequence of notes that form a distinctive portion of a song. And it may be part of the main melody that gets repeated or varied and holds the entire music piece together. And so in a similar way, every book of the Bible has its own unique contribution to the symphony of the gospel, to the story of redemption. All the books, all the characters, all the people, all the events point to Jesus. And it's all part of the one of this one grand gospel theme. And so the melodic line of the gospel can be traced from Genesis to Revelation. And so today, we'll trace the melodic line in Judges. Now, some of you might be wondering, why Judges? I was thinking the same thing. Um, But I think Judges can teach us many things. 
I think Judges teaches us that through a season of darkness, there is hope. Right? That's where we get the main point, that through a season of darkness, there is hope. There's hope for God's people, but also as we think through our context today, through a season of darkness, there is hope. And I think a lot of us could relate to this on some level, because for some, the past 15 months have felt like maybe a season of darkness. Well, judges can feel very dark, as I mentioned at times, very sad, but in the end, again, there is hope. Well, Judges is one of those books that grabs your attention for all the wrong reasons. There are high points and there are low points. And at some points, at some points in the book of Judges, it may seem as if the grand symphony of the gospel has stopped and you can't hear that melodic line anymore. But I assure you, it's all in rhythm because it points to something or someone greater. Now, as I was studying this book, it reminded me of the famous opening lines of Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities. Some of us may be familiar with how the book begins, but I'm going to read just a portion of it now because it'll be a point of reference for us today. This is how the book begins. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was a season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was a spring of hope. It was a winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. In a similar way, this is the story as we come to the book of Judges. It's a story that mirrors good and evil, triumph and despair. And the author of the story has an all-knowing point of view of the characters or the people. You see, God's people had everything before them, but they acted as if nothing was before them. The Israelites were now in the land that was promised to them all the way back in Exodus, which I know a lot of you are familiar with the book of Exodus. So they were in the land of Canaan. And Judges gives us both glimpses of light and darkness. And really, as I mentioned earlier, it's a season of darkness. In fact, the one verse that I believe summarizes this book is found at the very end. It puts this season of darkness into perspective for us. And actually, that's our scripture reading today. So let me read it for us. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. This is God's word. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's God's word. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we, we ask for your Holy Spirit to now soften our hearts to open our eyes so that we may hear you. I pray, Father, that you will humble my heart and that you will speak through me, but also through your text. I pray that we're able to see the beauty of your word and the beauty of your gospel. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we just read, that's really, again, the overall theme of the book. There was no king in Israel. And that should tell us something about this period of time. 
Israel had no prominent leader as they did with Moses and Joshua, who are now gone. It could be said that Judges is a sequel to Joshua. And in Joshua, people were obedient somewhat in conquering the land. For them, it was sort of the best of times. But as we come to Judges, disobedience followed. And so just to give us a timeline of the book, the period of Judges covers over 300 years. It goes from 1375 B.C. to 1055 B.C. And so if you think about that, that's a lot of darkness. That's a lot of days with no prominent leader in Israel. It was an age of foolishness. And we'll soon find that out. As we'll soon find out. See, God's people became idolatrous. And so they were often defeated time and time again. Again, it was the worst of times. But we can't say they weren't warned, though. Because back in Deuteronomy, Moses tried to prepare them by giving them the law a second time around. He gave them the law in Exodus. He also gave them the law in Deuteronomy. And so Moses gave the law in Exodus. But he, again, so let me read for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, if I were to give you just a simple summary of the law, it would be this, and you've heard this before. The main takeaway is to love God and to love others. That summarized the law for the people. That's what they had to do, is to love God, to love others. And so Moses knew they were about to enter a polytheistic culture, a pagan culture surrounded by wickedness. And so the lesson for the people was to follow his commands, was to hold on to God. Otherwise, here's what would happen. The pagan culture would influence their way of life. Israel was warned. They were prepared. But they needed someone to lead them. Even though no leader would come just yet, God knew they needed leader types. And so he appointed judges, as the title of the book indicates. Now, these aren't judges like in the court of law, the literal meaning of the term judges are deliverers or, or saviors. And so there are 12 judges mentioned in the book. Now, some of us may be familiar with these judges, like Gideon or Samson. But in the end, as great as their stories were, these judges never fulfilled the role of a good king or leader. It all ended pretty sadly, as we just read. Now, we won't have time to go through every judge. It'll be, I'll give you a sort of a bird's eye view of the entire book. But I think it's applicable to us today. As I mentioned, again, we've been, we've probably been through a long season of darkness. Some of us have been away from family and friends. Others have been away from community and have been in isolation. And so also we live in a culture that seeks to influence us in a number of ways. We live in a social media culture. 
the information age, where we are bombarded with so much information, sometimes good information, but sometimes false information. So we are living in a culture that, sent, that tends to grab a hold of our hearts for all the wrong reasons. And so I believe there are three lessons, rather quick lessons for us in the life of Israel that we'll look at today. First, we'll see Israel's disobedience toward God. Israel's disobedience toward God. Second, we'll go through the repeated deliverance of Israel. And then lastly, we'll conclude with Israel's desolation in the darkness. Disobedience, deliverance, desolation. So let's go to our first point today where we find Israel's disobedience. From the very beginning, we find that Israel in Canaan was an endless cycle of disobedience, an endless cycle of rebellion. And so let me summarize their rebellion for us. They failed to drive out the Canaanites. They worshipped other gods. There was intermarriage with the wicked. They were integrating into the Canaanite culture. They didn't obey the leaders God appointed. And every time a judge would die, they turned away from God again. And so that was the endless cycle that's, that would happen in Judges. Let me read for us Judges chapter 2, starting with verse 10. It says, And all that generation, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Just a couple of verses later, their disobedience gets a little more specific. Judges chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way, the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. It's pretty clear about their disobedience. And so the language also is pretty sensitive here. It's pretty provocative. In other English versions, it says they prostituted themselves. In other words, it's saying the people were desperate. Israel was giving themselves to idols without any pleasure or love in return. The relationship with the wicked was one-sided. And so they were being used. They were vulnerable. They were blind. They rejected God on multiple levels. And so rather than loving God, they loved other things above God. And so that's idolatry in a nutshell. They repeatedly broke the first commandment, the commandment that, and the other commandments that followed. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And so that's the reoccurring theme found in Judges. They, again, continually worshipped other gods. Judges 10 verse 6 says this, The people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals and the Asheroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon. 
the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. They idolized everything but God. Tim Keller defines an idol in his book this way, in his book Counterfeit Gods. It says this, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Now we may think this is an isolated incident in Israel's history. But ever since the fall back in Genesis, the battle for their hearts and imaginations had been going on for centuries. The same could be said for us. Even if we even if we don't believe in the God of the Bible, something or someone can absorb our hearts and imaginations, whether we know it or not. If you don't believe me, ask yourself this. Is there anything that absorbs your hearts and imaginations right now? Is there anything that absorbs your hearts and imaginations right now? Maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing, but if it's an ultimate thing or person, then that's what we're currently idolizing. Let me give you an example of this. You know, during the, the beginning of the pandemic, I remember I, I couldn't stop looking at my news feeds. You know, I couldn't stop scrolling through social media or looking at the news channels and other things. And so for a few weeks, it actually absorbed my heart and my imagination. There was lots of fear, there was lots of worry. And it started to affect the way I, I was acting toward family and friends. And so I realized something else was directing my heart and my attitude. In fact, my theology was coming from social media. It was coming from Twitter and Instagram. It was influencing me for all the wrong reasons. Now, some of these social media platforms are not necessarily bad things, but during that time, they became ultimate things. I was giving my time and attention to things that never really would love me back. It may seem like a lighthearted example, but Judges shows us that the religion and lifestyle of the Canaanites directed Israel's hearts. The Canaanites were superior in the arts, literature, and, and, and politics and more. Their idols were the sensual pleasures found in the worship of Baal. Israel's time and attention were given to the sexualized lifestyle of the land. And so rather than defeating the Canaanites, Israel joined them in this type of lifestyle. And so that was the warning uh, before, again, and after they entered the land. They could not coexist with the people. The temptation was too strong for them. In the, pre in the previous leadership, they knew this all too well. So what did God do? Well, God could have just wiped them out. But you see, God shows his mercy. In spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, God remained faithful. He repeatedly delivers his people. That's why I love singing that song. I asked Peter to, as a special request to sing that song, He Will Hold Me Fast. Because there are times where our faith will waver. 
are times where we feel like we can't hold on to God. But in those times of darkness, really it's God holding us fast. He's holding on to us. Because we, we will lose our grip time and time again. But just remember, God is faithful. And he will deliver us. Whether in this life or the life to come. Which this all takes us to our next point. We talk about deliverance. The middle section of Judges is by far the longest section. And we find the theme of deliverance. It's where God appoints judges to lead Israel. He appoints judges to care for them. He appoints judges to, to save them and to remind them that he's actually still there. Judges uh, chapter 2 verse 18 reads this. It says, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. And he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. You see, the Lord saw their love for other gods. But he doesn't turn his back on them. Here's why it's important for us to understand because the author is showing us something uh, much more than God just simply caring for his people. You know, I often use this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in, in premarital counseling. And um, Bonhoeffer wrote this years ago. He says, it is not your love that sustains the marriage. But from now on, it's the marriage that sustains your love. Let me replace the word marriage with covenant. It's not the love that sustains the covenant, but it's the covenant that sustains the love. You know, during wedding ceremonies, the couple, they make these vows before God, the people, and to each other. And these vows are a reminder or a promise of their love for one another. These vows are a lifelong commitment to and for each other. It's why some traditional vows, they say for better or worse, in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. What this really means is no matter what, I will love you. You see, romance and falling in love, they're all good things. But after long seasons of pain, the feelings of love grow weary. And so we often tell couples to remember their vows when the love grows weary. I know it's easier said than done. I'm making general statements here. But the promise of God is different. For God, his sustained love is in the vows. It's in the promise. And so although people might break the covenant and fall out of love, so to speak, God gives us the example of the ultimate covenant of love. Back in Judges chapter 2, verse 1, God speaks through an angel. He says this, now the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal to, to Bochim, and he said, I brought, you from, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to, you, to, to give to your fathers. And I listen here. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. God is essentially saying, look, Israel, you're going to break your covenant with me. You're going to break all your promises with me. God is also saying, but I'll never break my vows. I'll never break my promise with you. 
He's essentially saying, look, I will deliver you time and time again, even if you don't love me. And so Judges reveals that Israel is delivered again and again for over 300 years through 12 leaders. And these leaders would play the role of heroes, so to speak. But it's not like the heroes you and I know, we can imagine like these perfect superheroes, like in these Marvel films. These heroes are flawed. Sometimes they lacked faith and courage. They even turned on God as well. But judges show us that God will even use the most flawed leaders to save his people. It's like what my old seminary professor used to say, God uses crooked people to draw straight lines. And so that's what God is doing in Judges. And what makes Judges unique is that it's really, it really doesn't give us inspirational stories or mind-blowing directions on how to live. But it reveals to us the true story, the true hero of the story. And the true hero of the story is God himself. God is the one saving and loving his people because of his promise. It's the reason why I'm not spending a whole lot of time on the judges themselves. They're there, and some are even mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews, but the real hero is God. When the people would fail, God would deliver. And so this was Israel's life for 300 years in the age of darkness. There were seasons of short triumph, triumph, but there was an overwhelming amount of darkness. That'll bring us to our last point, Israel's desolation in the darkness. You see, the entire book of Judges shows us that the people and their sins were the problem. And the solution was not going to come from the people or its leaders. The people desperately needed a king. They desperately needed a savior. In Judges 17, 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In 18, verse 1, it says, In those, in those days there was no king in Israel. 19, verse 1, In those days there was no king in Israel. In the last verse, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Do you sense that there's an ongoing theme here? That the author is trying to make a point, especially in the last chapters? The author of Judges is, is, is trying to convince the audience that they needed a savior king, a good king to lead them. It's a minister by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He once said this, Salvation finds us in the dark, but does not leave us there. In the darkness of Judges and throughout the Old Testament, God makes his covenant known and does not leave his people there. Israel needed a king to rule and rescue them. And in the age of darkness, God finds them a king. The next book over is the book of Ruth. And at the end of Ruth, it gives us the genealogy of David. The last couple of verses in Ruth says this, 
Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. You see, God raises an earthly king, a king after God's own heart. And his story is found in First and Second Samuel, which we went through here as a church years ago. But it doesn't stop there. Because King David points to an even greater king. And remember, God will never break his covenant. That's what he said in Judges 2. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And he's talking to Israel. And so at the end of Judges, it may seem like the melody stopped. There was no king. Everything was doing right in his own eyes. But it continues. This melody continues throughout the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 31, it reads this, starting with verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Does that sound familiar? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God says, there's a greater king I promised. The king is coming, and he'll go through the line of David. And so if you fast forward to the New Testament, we're familiar with this verse. The opening pages of the gospel, Matthew 1, verse 1, it says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You might have looked at this verse a number of times. But I feel like when I open the pages of this genealogy, I feel like it's just screaming at us. And God is saying, look, I've kept my promise through the darkness, you're going to hear this melody again. And it continues through David. And it will continue and it will end with Jesus. So as if, it's as if the opening lines, God is saying, look, I remember you, Israel. Matthew 21 gives us the account of Jesus humbled. And he's riding on a donkey. Again, a, a story you may all be familiar with. And the people are shouting, Hosanna to the son of who? David. And so this small little entrance of Jesus shows that God has kept his promise of a forever king. From no king in Judges to King David to King Jesus. But in the end, this king would wear a crown of thorns. Isaiah 53, it says this, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He's talking about Jesus. Says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. This king was despised and rejected by man, and man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. see, this king will go through the worst of times. He'll go through the darkness, the pain, 
He'll go through the suffering. He'll go to the cross, ultimately. He'll be nailed to the cross. But he did it all for us. He'll go through the darkness and despair. You see, Jesus would become nothing so that we can have everything in him. And as he, as he breathed his last few words on the cross, you see that song, that melody. It's there. God says, I remember all of that so that we could experience his covenant love that was promised from God long ago. It's God who's going to hold us fast through the seasons of darkness. And Judges is a reminder of that. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we are grateful for this book of Judges, which, again, some of us, including myself, we kind of read through very fast at times because it's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. But this is your word. And we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that through the reminder that through seasons of darkness you are there and that you have kept your promises and your ultimate promise through your son Jesus Christ who lived, who died, but also who rose again from the dead so that we could have everlasting life with him forever. And so Lord, we pray for this church, pray for Gateway and its people that we are not so easily influenced by the culture where we're influenced by your gospel, that your gospel and your word will lead us into eternity. So we pray, Father, that you will do work in our hearts now and forevermore, and that you continue to bless your church for many years. We're thankful for the teaching here and for its people. Continue to unite this community. Continue to humble this community as they serve each other and as they serve you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.